Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. There are things that you can be good at by reason of use, by constantly doing them. You know, there are some people, like a Josh, who can jump in an airplane like the 747 and fly around the world, somewhere on the other side of the world, easier than you can make a road trip to Georgia. I mean, just because he does it all the time. He just knows what to do. You know, getting my family just to come to church in the morning is like major, let alone go on a road trip, you know? But, uh, you know, there's things that you, uh, uh, Maudie, uh, you, she, she, I don't know if you all know this, but she started a crocheting, crocheting and knitting, right? They would knit hats for uh, people who are under cancer treatment, right? I'm just going to talk about her. Where, and, and they became good. I've seen people who are good at knitting, right? You know, when you start, like if I were doing it, it would have to be like, well, like I happen to have two pens, you know? <laughs> you know, you'd be counting, right? Because there's a pattern. You count, right? You know, but after you get good at it, I've talked to people while they're knitting and they're just having a conversation and they're doing that in their mind and they're not missing, you know, and, and because it becomes second nature, something that you do over and over. Abigail started piano lessons two weeks ago, you know, I think she's a musical genius. Of course I do. I think she's brilliant. Hi, Abigail. <laughs> I didn't know she was going to be in here. Hi. But, but you know, you start off, how many great pianists start off with single note melodies? You know? Well, Xavier? Yeah. Yeah. Chopsticks. I, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you start off with what you know. But what she's playing now, uh, what's she going to play in a year or two years or five years if she stays with it? You know, you see somebody who's so talented on, a, on an instrument or something, and it just looks like it's just flowing from them effortlessly. But it's a lot of work for it to become Second nature, right? You know, Peter was a fisherman in the Bible. And if there's anything he knew, he knew about fishing. He knew that lake. He probably grew up on that lake. James and John, too. You know, they were working with their father Zebedee. Very likely a family tradition passed on. They were good at fishing. One thing Peter knew how to do was sail a boat. So when Jesus told him, jump jump in the boat and go on ahead to the other side, it wasn't a big deal. It was second nature. They were good at it. Sure, we'll go. Let's jump in the lake. <laughs> jump in the boat. Set out across the lake. And that's where we find them in John chapter 6. If you'll open your Bible with me to John chapter 6, we're going to start around verse 15. Because I've been preaching on the seven miracles that are recorded in the book of John, the seven signs. Uh, if you'll remember, just to, I'll name them. The first one was Jesus made wine from the water. Then Jesus healed the nobleman's son. He healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. And then two weeks ago, wasn't last week good with our missionary friend? I really enjoyed what he said. He said some nuggets that I just wrote down that uh, to, I'm definitely integrating into how I think about life and ministry. I was really encouraged by the, the time he spent with us. But So last week um, he preached, but two weeks ago I preached on the feeding of the 5,000. And today... We're going to look at the time that Jesus walked on the water. Just a little background here of this miracle. Uh, they, Jesus had been out in the wilderness. The crowds followed him and he fed them. He fed 5,000 men besides women and children with what? He fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread, right? Five loaves and two fish, right? I don't know why we say fishes. Five and two fishes. We always say fishes. 
It's fishes. It's fish, right? <laughs> right? Where's my grammar people? It's fish. Fish is okay, right? But no, it's either way. It's either way. Fishes. Okay, but do you actually say fishes in normal life? Okay, but they, what if they caught all the same kind of fish? Then it would be fish. Okay, so the boy very likely had the same kind of fish. So it was probably fish. Thank you. I'm glad we clarified that. Now I know. You know, all of a sudden it just hit me. You're, you're, you're telling the story and you say fishes. It's like, why am I saying fishes? I don't say fishes any other time in my life. Why would I say it? It's more religious sounding if you say fishes. You know? No, kinds of fishes, but a plurality of fish. Very good. So I'm going to say fish from now on, if that's okay with you. So where am I? The feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves of two fish. But this time Jesus is walking on the water. So the conclusion, after being fed, they, they see the miracle, the multiplication of the food, and they come to the conclusion that Jesus was the prophet that Moses said would come. And that's the conclusion the crowds came to. Look at John chapter 6, and I'm going to start with verse 14. No matter what I said a minute ago, I'm going to start at verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Right? That's what I just said. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, they'd eaten out there in the wilderness. They saw the sign, and now they were about to make Jesus king. And Jesus is picking up on this. So what does he do? He puts a decisive end to their plans by escaping to the mountain. He just disappears, withdraws from the crowd, sends the disciples on, and he goes. You know, you, you would think from a casual reading that it would be good that they wanted Jesus to be their king, or it would be good that they were willing to follow him like that. But see, they were seeking Jesus, not for Jesus' sake, but for their own purposes. That's why they were seeking him. They weren't seeking him for the love of God. See, they were thinking about, you know, hey, look at these miracles he can do. He can feed people. Look, if we can get the crowd gathered around, rallied around him, we could, we could uh, um, finally lead this uh, uh, independence movement and get our freedom from Rome. I mean, that's what they were really seeking. That's what it meant to appoint a king besides Caesar. We are going to finally get our independence from Rome. So the question is, why do you seek Jesus? Why do I seek Jesus? Come on, this is a, it's a good question. And a good way to put it would be, as you seek Jesus, are you willing to come to him on his terms and be about his program and not your own? You get what I'm saying? Because are we willing to seek his will or put, make his priorities my priorities? Is that how we're seeking him? Are we willing to become a part of his agenda or are we just trying to fit Jesus into our agenda. Can you see what I'm saying? Are we looking for him to uh, make everything the way I think it should be? Because the truth is, if you've not laid down your life, you've not really truly come to him. If you've not repented and surrendered your will to his will, you've not truly come to him. You know, times are changing fast. I feel like they are. Maybe it's just because I'm old enough, I have a, a, a broader perspective on, on trends and things. But it just seems like the world is just going through upheavals and convulsions and rapid change, rapid change everywhere I see. And I don't know where it's all heading. I really don't. I wish I could tell you. I know there's people out there who can tell you, you know, but I can't tell you. I don't know. But I do know this, that God is actively working in the earth today. 
and I want to be a part of what he is doing. I want to be a part of his program. I want to be a part of his agenda. Having surrendered my will to him, I want to serve what he's doing on the earth today. Amen. Anybody with me? I mean, a big amen right there would be appropriate if you're with me. Because, you know, we can take him, we could take the gospel, we can take his name, and we can try to contort things and and um, use it to our own profit, our own agenda, our own nationalism. I think it's so interesting that, you know, if there's ever a country that's received the gospel that has such a nationalistic view, it is America. And I'm very happy to be an American. I'm very grateful for my country. I'm very grateful for the Christian witness in this country. But the Jews were pressing hard line into a nationalistic agenda that was not a part of what God was doing in their midst. We need to be in tune with what God is doing in our present time. Because what God is doing is what's going to happen. And where we land on whether we're with him or without him depends on whether we make it or not, just to be honest with you. I'd rather be with Jesus in his plan, even if it's not the one I picked first. My will surrendered to his will. Amen? Come on, that's really good preaching. (laughs) That's good. Thank you, Rick. We want to be a part of what God is doing. So Jesus withdraws to this mountain to prevent the people from taking him by force. Do you hear that? They were going to take him by force. So they're not having the interests of Jesus in their mind, are they? (laughs) You don't take somebody by force if you're trying to follow them. If you take somebody by force, you're trying to make them follow what you want, right? So they're trying to take Jesus by force. Can you imagine that? The dude just does these miracles, (laughs) all these miracles feet, and you're going to go take him by force. Kidnap him. You're going to be our king. You have to do what we say. It's It's totally upside down. That's not how kings work. Not how kings work. Jesus confronted them later. Put up John 6, 25 through 26. This is later at the end of the miracle. It says, they found him on the other side of the sea, and they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Next verse. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I mean, the signs pointed to him being the prophet, but they were so bent on their nationalistic agenda to make him king and get their independence, they didn't care. They saw a physical, they saw a miracle. They saw the power. They saw the supernatural in the sense that, hey, look at what he did. We can use him to do our aim. And he says, he just called them out on it. You're not seeking me because of the signs. The signs points to me being the Messiah, where you submit your will to me and follow me. Remember the prophecy that Moses gave? Uh, God will raise up a prophet like me, and when he comes, you should listen to him and do everything he says. They weren't interested in doing everything he says, were they? They were interested in doing their own thing. So in withdrawing to the mountain, Jesus leaves us this testimony. He leaves us a testimony against worldly ambition, and he leaves us a testimony against seeking worldly honor because he had the opportunity. You know, a lesser person than Jesus might be real tempted right there in that moment to just to ride the popularity of the, mo- of the moment. You know, man, they love me. They're rallying around me. They're following me. I'm just going to go ahead and go with this. And then later on, I will steer them into truth. But Jesus, he knew what he was called to do. And he knew that that would derail his ministry. So he didn't give in for a minute. You know, Jesus knew his purpose. And because Jesus knew what he was supposed to be doing, he also knew what he was not supposed to be doing. 
So it's really good to get in tune with God's purpose for your life because it'll save you from going down a wrong, wrong trail, no matter how good or how lucrative it looks. Have you ever had to say no to things that looked awesome but that were just wrong for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank God. Because when you know what he's called you to do, you, you don't have to worry about what you're not called to do. Let somebody else do it. You know, even good things. There's a lot of good things. Rinkum and I talk about different things all the time because we have all these ideas and dreams about starting businesses and being in ministry. And, you know, we can't do everything. So we need to do the things that God has called us to do and let other people do the things that God has called them to do. So working together as a body is about, isn't it? So praise God. Getting to know God's plan for your life will keep you from going down that wrong path. So go with me to John, uh, well, back to our, our story there. Let's pick up in verse 16. I think that's where I said we were going to start. When evening came, it says his disciples went down to the sea. They got into the boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark for Jesus had not yet come to them. And like I said earlier, these guys were fishermen. They knew what they were doing. Getting into this boat was not a great exercise of faith. They weren't doing anything that was impossible here. Um, they just set out to do what they knew how to do. It was easy. They got into the, They weren't stepping out into the unknown. You know, they like I said, they grew up on this lake. They actually, I like this illustration. They'd gone to fishing school. <laughs> they learned everything there was about fishing. They knew how to row that boat. They knew how to trim the sails. They knew how to watch the weather. They knew how to keep the pressure on the helm to make that boat go where they wanted to go. They were good at it. So they jump in the boat and they're headed across the lake and they never even gave it a second thought. But see, Jesus was living by a completely different set of rules. He didn't go to fishing school. He went to creation school. He went to all things are possible with the Father supernatural school. He went to nothing is impossible with God's school. And so he just heads out across the lake walking just as natural as those people jumped in a boat and were sailing. Because he could do it. So my question is, what school are you enrolled in? Are you enrolled in new creation school? Doing all things through Christ 101? That'd be a good class to take. I can do all things through Christ 101. Or are you enrolled in, um, I had to write this down, I'm going to say it, don't take it personally. <laughs> Complaining and murmuring 101, <laughs> which is a prerequisite for unbelief and negative expectation 201. <laughs> you know, ouch, yeah, come on. Hey, the thing is, the world is teaching us. The world is a classroom, and we're here in this world, and it's affecting our, our worldview, our mindset, our paradigm, our imagination, and it's setting the limits on our life if we will let it. Amen. That's why you have to work so hard to renew your mind. Amen. It shouldn't be that hard. We should all be Christians and be around each other and spurring one another on to good work. But so oftentimes, we, you know, we go out in the world, or you know, the, the world follows us on our devices now, and, uh, or, and when we do come together, you know, Paul criticized the church. He says, you guys are coming together for your own interests, not for the body. If you remember that when, when he was in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, I think. You know, we, we need to, to be those people who spur one another on to good works. Amen? We need to be a I want you to I want you to be encouraged by being with me for a day or for an hour or for a service or for a meeting or for just a lunch. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be those kind of people who encourage one another. Amen? 
We need to encourage one another. And also we need to shut some things off and keep our eyes on the word of God. Because that will determine. Let the word of God set our worldview, our mindset. Let the word of God be our limit. Which is essentially to take the limits off. Amen. So the, yeah, that's good. I just skipped all that. Okay, praise the Lord. You know, the, the problem is we, we sometimes we become really good at something, but we can become really good at doing the wrong thing. I don't want to be good at doing the wrong thing, do you? See, when Jesus invites us to learn of him and do the kinds of things that he did, that's the point. He's the goal. I mean, what does it mean when he says, uh, you know, follow me, come and learn from me? I'm the teacher. You're the student. That means he's going to teach me to do life the way he does life. We can learn from him. For we are his workmanship, Ephesians said, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, I was made for this. You were made for this. Jesus was so good at hearing the voice of the Father. So should we. He was so good. He was an expert on the scriptures. We should be too. He was confident in his ability to live supernaturally. So should we. Jesus could receive from the Father and minister it to the multitudes. So should we. Those are exactly the same things that God wants us to do. So my question is this. What are you good at? What have you become competent in? What are you just really good at without thinking? Just can do it without even giving it a second thought. What if by reason of practice we've become good at doing some wrong things? But what if, I, what if I could become good at doing the right things? Yeah? Yeah? What if what's unnatural and difficult for me now can become second nature? What if the supernatural would become as natural for us as it was for Jesus? Think about that. What if the supernatural could become as natural for us to walk in as it was for Jesus? Verse 16, it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to sea. They got into a boat, and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And then verse 18 says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. See, evidently the sea wasn't rough when they got into that boat, but the sea became rough. Remember, they're fishermen. They would have known. I was reading, reading a little bit about the background on this, you know, I guess because of the way that that lake was situated in a valley, there were occasionally times when strong winds would blow through that valley, and that's what would make that lake so dangerous at certain times. They surely knew that. They heard the stories growing up and heard, knew the warnings. They knew people who probably lost their boats and lost their lives out there on that sea. They weren't stupid. They got they went in there when it was when it was calm, and they started across, and then the sea became rough as they went. And here's what's interesting. We know from the parallels in Matthew, uh, if you're taking notes, Matthew 16 and Mark 6, you'll find a parallel story. We know that Jesus actually sent them ahead. Okay? They're They're in this difficult situation, but they're not in this situation because they're rebelling against God. They're in the middle of this, this rough sea because they're obeying Jesus. They're doing what he said to do, and they come into this, this difficulty. You know, just because things get rough doesn't mean that you've missed the will of God. 
That's encouraging to know, is it not? Come on, sometimes you go through rough stuff, you know? You're, we're not exempt from the storms of life. We're just not. Remember uh, the wise and foolish builders in Matthew? The, the, the one heard the word and they did it. The other one heard the word, did not do it. But both houses went through the storm. The difference was one endured the storm because his life was built on the word of God, right? But we're not exempt from going through the storms of life. You know, it's always good to, to examine yourself, like the Bible says, and, and we shouldn't live in such a way that um, we think we're so far above any kind of um, missing it. Do you know what I'm saying? I shouldn't live where I'm above uh, anybody speaking into my life or even examining myself to see with whether or not I've, I've missed it somewhere. And, and so it's perfectly right to do that. But really, just because you're going through something doesn't mean that you have missed it. You could be right in the middle of where God put you. So just keep rowing. Just keep rowing till Jesus shows up. Amen? Keep rowing. 1 Timothy 1.9, it says that if we, reject, um, if, if we reject faith in a good conscience, it can shipwreck our faith. It can shipwreck our faith. That's not the time when you're in the middle of there trying to row and you're fighting to give up and reject faith in the good conscience. That's a good way to get shipwrecked. We don't want to get shipwrecked out there in the middle of the storm. But nobody is exempt from the life storm. See, they're doing what Jesus told them to do. And also this, this is interesting. We know from Mark's account that Jesus could see them from where he was on the mountain. I think that's interesting. Jesus went up to the mountain. He's praying, right? He's escaped the crowds. He's up there on the mountain. He sent them ahead, and he can actually see them from where he's at. I thought that was kind of neat. You know, he sees them straining. And, and think about this from two perspectives. One, think about it from Jesus' perspective, okay? He's up there on the mountain. He's obviously probably taking time to pray, right? And, and he sees them in trouble. How many times do you go to pray and all of a sudden there's an emergency? <laughs> something you need, your family, your kids, your friends, your job, your work, something happens and you've got to go deal with it right now. You've got to go fix the car. You've got to go uh, answer the phone call for work. You've got an email you didn't expect. Somebody needs something when you're here on the mountain trying to pray. Interesting to me that that wasn't just a big emergency for Jesus. Look, okay, they're, they're rowing into the wind, but they're not going to sink. They're going to be okay. I'm not going to go just yet. Yeah, they'll be a little sore in the morning, but they're not going to die. I'm not going to let them drown. You know, not everything is an emergency. Some things we just need to let them, let them take care of themselves. You know, I've just discovered in life a lot of things do take care of themselves. I don't have to jump on everything the first time I hear about it. Sometimes you just wait a little while and it takes care of itself. I got a call. What was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another cabinet shop thing. Um, this just happened the other week, so I'm going to share it. Uh, I get a call or a text. It was text. And they're like, oh, we need you to come and cut down this cabinet because the refrigerator won't fit in. And I know I made the refrigerator right, but I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe they got a different fridge. I'll do it for them. But, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm like, okay, I'll come out sometime later in the week. An hour or two later, oh, never mind. The appliance guys just didn't know what to do. It fits. <laughs> Thank God I didn't just make that my emergency at that moment, right? You know, more time after time after time, I get, you know, things come up like that. And I just let them go, man. Just, just not, I, I don't give, give it time to work itself out. That's all. 
Give it a little bit of time. Amen? But look at it also from the disciples' perspective. You know, they're in this boat, and they're rowing, and I hear people say stuff like this all the time. Well, Jesus sees you in the struggle. Or Jesus knows what you're going through. I'm like, big deal. The thing that makes Jesus so great is he's willing to help us, right? Not just see you in the struggle, not just know what you're going through. He's willing to jump in the struggle with you and help you. That's what makes God so wonderful. Amen? Come on, that's good. Isaiah 58, 9, it says, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Here I am. Come on. Psalm 91, 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And it's not enough just for him to see what I'm going through. He's willing to come on here and go through it with me and take me through it and rescue me. Amen? Come on, that's good. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's the song we just sang, right? My very present help in time of need. Praise God. Just... Come on, thank you. Lord, we thank you that you're with us. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you promise to be with us. You don't leave us in our troubles. You don't forsake us, Lord, but you go through them with us. Oh, hallelujah. Praise your name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's good. That's good. So here they are in the middle of this lake, straining at the oars. And here comes walking on the water, the solution to their problem. And they're more afraid of the problem or of the solution than the problem. Think about it. Have you ever been more afraid of the solution than the problem? Yeah. Are you more afraid of making a budget than being in debt? <laughs> Just let that sink for a minute. Yeah. Are you more afraid of having that conversation than you are of having a strained relationship? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> I want to avoid that conversation, right? I'm more of afraid of I'm more afraid of being on a diet than I am of carrying 30 extra pounds. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Just being honest. One scares me, one doesn't. So <laughs> are you more afraid to surrender to God than you are of the circumstances you're in? It can be a scary thing. So here comes Jesus walking on there on the water and they're afraid. Do you know why they're afraid? Because hmm? there's a guy walking on the water. Yeah, he's coming to them not in the way that they would think that he should come at them. This is, this is not normal. You know, Jesus, I wish you were here, but don't do anything weird. <laughs> I wish you would help me, but don't make me uncomfortable. Don't come walking on the water because that'll just freak me out. <laughs> I'll be jumping out of the boat. <laughs> Come on, let's, him, let's let him help us on his terms. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I want your help, but I want to tell you how you're going to send it. I want to tell you how you're going to do it. And don't use that person because I don't really like them. I don't receive from them. <laughs> well, maybe they're the one God has anointed to speak into your life. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so just stay out there in the middle of the lake and keep rowing. That's what you want to do. And keep rowing. The wind will keep blowing. You'll eventually get there, maybe, if you don't sink first. See, God's plan for us, though, it's a good plan. Amen? Amen. It's a good plan. But sometimes it scares us more than the mess that we're living in. Come on. That's why sometimes we choose to stay where we are. Really, we choose to stay in our situation. 
rather than take the solution sometimes. Sometimes we know the solution, but man, comfort is a dangerous thing. I've made peace with my circumstances. Don't upset it. We need to learn how to seek our comfort in the comforter, in the person of the Holy Spirit, rather than in our circumstances. Because then we can have comfort no matter what the circumstances. So you can stay where you're at in the middle of the lake, or you can bring Jesus on board. You know, what if the thing that you're afraid of right now is the very thing that holds the answer to your problem? You know, what if you're supposed to go for that job? What if you're supposed to take those classes? What if you're supposed to go on that mission trip and visit that country? What if you're supposed to buy that property? You know, I don't, I don't, I'm just making up random things that I would think about that would challenge us, you know, that God could be calling people to do. What if you're supposed to completely surrender to him? What if, what if Jesus was actually telling the truth when he said, if you lose your life, you'll actually find it? The very thing that you're afraid of right now may be carrying your answer. Verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. They were scared. But he said, it is I. Do not be afraid. See, when they saw him, they were afraid because they imagined that they were seeing a ghost. They're out there. They're in the sea. It's wind. I bet you there's all kinds of folklore surrounding that that's it, you know, sailor stories, you know what I'm talking about? And here they're seeing one for, their, for themselves, a phantom, a ghost. They don't know what they're seeing. And their imagination just made it ten times worse than what it was. Sure. Right? Isn't that interesting how um, your imagination can make something worse than it really is? No. Yeah, we do that all the time. You know, you might have real troubles. You know, come on. The wind was a real trouble. They were really straining at the oars. So there was a real opposition, you know, a physical uh, obstacle to overcome to get to the other side of the lake. But boy, when they saw that Jesus walking and they started imagining what it could be, it just went off the chart crazy. <laughs> you know, but how many times are we going through things in life and our imagination makes them seem 10 times worse than they are? And we're out there rowing, and then the wind kicked up, and we kept rowing, and then we were rowing, and then a ghost came, and it was walking to the ship, and we thought we were all going to die. Is this what sailors see right before they sink? I don't know. It was getting bad, man. Bad circumstances. How many times do we do that in our circumstances? Our thoughts can add to our challenges and even make them worse. But the problem is, lots of times our thoughts are not even true. It was Jesus. It wasn't a ghost. But they imagined it to be something that wasn't true. You know, you got to love how people know, you know, how people who know what everybody else is thinking. Don't raise your hand if you know that person. <laughs> you know, people who know everybody else's motives, you know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand. Just look straight forward. You know, well, this is what they said, but I know this is what they meant. Well, did they say that? No, but I know that's what they meant. I'm sure that's what they meant, right? I can tell. I can tell. You know, you can carry so much stress thinking about everybody's secret motives. You don't even know what their motives are. You don't know. 
How do you know? Did God tell you? No, I just have incredible intuition. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you just, I'm sorry, you don't. Because here's what happens. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, they're mad at me. I can tell. So you start treating them like they're mad at you. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're like, why are they treating me like that? <laughs> yeah, come on. We got to put to put, put, put to bed, put down, stop the crazy imagination. And we got to root ourselves in reality. Amen? Root ourselves in the Word of God and root ourselves in truth. God's always going to be on the side of truth. God has not called us to believe fantasies. You know, isn't that, what's the, what's the Bible passage that says, you know, uh, it, this was not done in a corner. This isn't some secret thing, but Jesus was publicly crucified in front of everybody. He was risen again. How many people saw him after his resurrection? And then the witness of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the expansion of the church, that did not happen in a, in, in a place of just, uh, you know, cultural circumstances. There was massive opposition to the growth of the church, but it happened through the power of the Holy Spirit and the witness of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ lived, died, and was resurrected. This is not a crazy fantasy to believe. This is reality. God is always on the side of reality. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. He says, why? Because it's me. You know me. You can trust me. It's me. Oh, once, it's, once they know it's Jesus, thank God it's not a ghost. <laughs> it turned out not to be what they were thinking. It turned out to be way better than what they were thinking. Amen? Verse 21, it says, then they were glad to take him into the boat. As long as he was a ghost, they were not glad to take him into the boat. But after they realized it was him, they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, listen to that, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Do you see that miracle? They're straining in the middle of the lake. Jesus comes on, and immediately they were translated to the land to which they were going. They were struggling. Jesus looked over there. It says, um, let's see, one of the earlier verses, it says, they, yeah, verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, okay, rowing three or four miles into the wind, I don't know how long that took them. Depends on how long it was, but that's a good little clip. You know, three or four miles, they're rowing. They're, the wind kicks up. They're still rowing. They're still fighting. They're still rowing. Then Jesus comes and boom, they're right where they were headed. Doesn't matter how long you've been struggling with your problem, your circumstances, your issues. It just doesn't matter. Do you remember we, we, we looked at this of the man at the pool? Uh, he, was, he was crippled for uh, uh, 38 years. The man at the gate, 48 years. Oh, come on, the woman bent over. Was it like 18 years, I think, right? The woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. Didn't matter how long. When Jesus got involved, it can end. It can turn like that. It can turn in a moment. Jesus got on the boat, and they were where they were headed. They were all, you know, not just where they were headed. Understand, when Jesus got on the boat, they were where he told them to go. They were following his will, and he's there to help you. And to help me follow his will. Come on, that's really good, isn't it? When Jesus got into the boat, it was over because immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately. And I just want to do this. If uh, Tom, if you guys could just come up and, and, and play something soft. I do want to take a time just to pray for needs um, again. And I wanted to share this word first because as we go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to think about just two things. Um, one, what do you need? What do you want from God? What have you been seeking from God? Okay, just, I mean, anything, 
anything. It, I mean, when I say need, come on, we all need things. It's not like I'm needy to need things from God, right? I need him every day, all right? I need his word. I need his witness of the spirit. I need life, you know, let alone, you know, continuous financial provision and help and continued health for our body and health for our kids. And, and, and you know, like Paul talks about as an apostle, he carries the burden of the church and different things too. Come on, we, we need to carry one another's burdens here, right? If you don't have a need, let's go to the Lord for the needs for other people too. Amen? So when I just say, let's think about what do you want from God? That's one. And the second thing, what are you really good at? What can you do that's just second nature? You don't even have to think about it. Because when we, when we pray, when we pray, I just want you to think about with all, you know, maybe you're really good at, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're really good at, um, uh, you know, playing an instrument or, or cooking or something like that. You know, whether somebody came to you and said, hey, could you make biscuits for 30 people? <laughs> you know, for me, I'd be like, oh, man, I don't even know how many biscuits that would be. <laughs> but, you know, somebody who's done it and they're confident, they don't even need a recipe. Yeah, sure. I can do that. No problem. You know, can you play something on the piano? Yeah, I can play something on the piano, right? And, you, and the guys just get up there and play. But, you know, not everybody can do that. But, but when you can do that and you're confident in it, you just, you have a certainty, right? An assurity. Somebody says, hey, come and, you know, adjust my cabinet door. Yeah, sure, I could do that. Without even giving it a thought, with all the confidence, I can just grab my little bag of tools and go there knowing that I can do what I need to do, right? So with that same surety, with that same confidence, I just want you to receive from Jesus with that same confidence that you know that you can, you can do these things. I want you to know that you can walk in the supernatural just like that because you were made for this. You are made to, to, we're not trying to interface, you know, two different operating systems here. You get what I'm saying? We're not trying to interface some, you know, archaic, you know, DOS operating system with the latest version of OS or Mac or I don't even, you know, we're not trying to enter. You, you're running in the same uh, operating system as God. The spirit that lives in you is in perfect tune with, with, with God. He's in perfect tune with the supernatural. It's a very natural thing for you to receive from God. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm just going to ask the guys to play, play through the song and Kaylee sing it and Rin Kim, if you'll just be ready to step down if there's anybody who would just like us to agree with you. And when you come, I just want you to come in the confidence that, yeah, I'm going to receive from God just as if fill in the blank, what you know you're good at. Just as certain as you're going to jump out there and get behind the wheel and drive safely. You know, just as certain as you're going to go home and make lunch today. You get what I'm saying? Just as natural as that. The supernatural is natural. Amen. Amen.